Welcome, everybody, to the State of the Sea Wolves, our weekly opinions podcast on what's going on in the land of the Stony Brook Sea Wolves. We've got no shortage of things to talk about today, so let's not waste any time. Uh, we're going to talk about the dead Stony Brook hockey team. I don't know if that's the right word, but they're finally over, so uh, we can finally stick a fork in them. So helping me stick a fork in them is Anthony DeCoco, Kevin Broderick, and Tommy Pardo. Gentlemen, how are we today? I'm doing fine, Mike. Now you're doing fine because because hockey's doing great. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Tommy? The gambling season's over. Just they, they can turn turn the page and look up to next season. But I'm doing pretty well. Okay. All right. I mean, that was a little more optimistic, I guess, on the uh, on the hockey front. I think the other two were so optimistic because so there is no hockey. You can only be so optimistic. Yeah, I guess so. So anyway, gentlemen, uh, the prompt I brought for you today. So it's finally over. What changes need to be made this offseason to fix this disaster? So, Anthony, you're at home. I'm going to start with you first. Well, talking to Garrow on after the after this playoff game, he's he talked about getting more offensive punch, which they definitely need. But I think that what they really need is some, you know, nasty defenseman that's going to defend well, some big burly guys. They don't have a lot of that. They don't have a lot of size on the back end. It's a lot of, you know, a lot of mobility, which is good, but I think that they need, you know, to improve in the on the defensive end of the puck, and I think that would help them big time next year. What about you, KB? I'm going to go a little more specific, but just go off of what Anthony just said. I want defensemen that are going to deny second-chance opportunities, specifically because the goaltending is is pretty good. Not amazing, but pretty good. For, I say pretty good because Kazakov is not going to be there next year. Right. Um, and he didn't have a good season this year anyways. But too many times with Stony Brook getting caught in a second chance opportunity, either just a puck goes off someone's ankles, someone is there on the other team to bury it. Puck goes off of Kazi or Barnacow, someone's there to bury it. There needs to be more discipline in front of the slot and especially in, in the crease. Um, and they need to be able to clear the puck on the first try off of that rebound. What about you, Tommy? Uh, what changes need to occur this offseason to, you know, right this ship? Defense needs, needs to absolutely get, to, get better. It's great to have your defense could contribute to the offensive output, but when but when they're struggling defensively, I, I, I guess one of the great offensive defensemen is Nolan Town. They struggle defensively. And then moving on to another point, another point about the goaltending, which they're losing Kazakov, which which is a big loss. And then they, and then they have Scott Barnacow and Heath Goldsmith and also Ben Monsavai. Let's see if they could transition into next season and they could be productive as a goaltending unit. Okay. All right. So goaltending. Um, all right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, I'm happy to finally not have to talk about them anymore. All right. So with that being said, we are going to talk some women's basketball, who we always have fun talking about. So I'm going to bring you guys Cameron Tockmill, Alex Damaro, and Kevin Yu. So welcome, gentlemen, what I have brought for you this week. They got a whole week of rest and they were given a free victory to stay in sole possession of first place, right? One game ahead of NCAT. How important is it that the girls win the top seed for the tournament? So Cameron, I'll start with you. I think it's just really important to kind of uh, stamp your ground in the conference. Having that double buy to open the uh, open the tourney would be big. Uh, have that extended rest. You had a lot of great rest uh, this past week, not facing Northeastern, having basically close to two weeks of rest, essentially. Yeah. So I think that coupled with having kind of that double bye, you're going to be probably the most rested team in the conference, and that really leaves no excuse for you to just run through the competition mm -hmm. leading through the tournament. Right. What about you, AD? Uh, how important is it that the girls win the top seed? Yeah, I mean, similar 
to what Cameron just said. Um, you've They've been at the top the whole year, and I think being the team to beat at the end of the season heading into the playoffs is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, same thing as what Cameron said, getting the double buy and being the most rested team is going to bring them a big advantage. Yeah, right. If they finish in first place, they wake up in the uh, in the third round of the playoffs. So right there, that helps them. But Kevin, you, how uh, how important is it that the girls win the top seed? You know, I'm gonna take a different direction from my uh, two peers. Um, I think it's a point, but I don't think it's the most important thing for them to win the top seed because I think regardless of seeding, they're the odds on favor to win. Um, you know, I think the double buy is important, and you know, the road to the title is a lot easier because you face the eighth and the win of the eighth and ninth seed in the quarterfinals after the double buy. But even as a second seed, I don't see anyone in this conference that can beat them if they're the second seed. You know, the winner of the seventh and tenth will play them in the quarterfinals if they're the second seed. And I don't see any competition, even if so. So regardless of the, I think the seeding, I think it's it's really about the performance of them in the tournament than the seeding itself. Yeah, a little little crude, but fair, right? I mean, I, I it's hard to disagree with what Kevin's saying. The obvious benefit is that if you're the top seed, because both the top two seeds, I believe it's the top four seeds, get. Uh, two rounds worth of buys um the top seed gets to play the losers bracket the second seed plays the winners bracket now like kevin said even the winners will probably not be as good they'll probably not be in the same class as stony brook but you'd still rather face the cold teams and the hot teams so yeah I, i'm still gonna say it's important me personally i just want to see them win the regular season championship they haven't won a championship we we haven't seen any championships from stony brook in quite a while i think the baseball team in 2022 was the last uh last regular season championship other than women's across um at least for the sports we cover obviously men's cross country kind of owns the caa uh so good job gentlemen now we're gonna talk about their opposite number let's talk some stony brook men's basketball so kenny spurrell is gonna come join me naden villarente and bradley trotta are gonna Blank him. What's going on, gentlemen? Happy birthday, Mike. Happy birthday, Mike. Thank you. Belated birthday, Hello. All right, gentlemen. So let's talk some men's basketball. What do the men need to do this week? This is the last week of the regular season. So what do you want to see from them? Kenny, I'll start with you. Um, I think there's a lot of places that they need to improve. They're coming off of two wins. Wasn't really moved by either of them. Both were at home. Both were against bottom feeders. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely didn't like that they turned the ball over 16 times against William and Mary. You know, they're William and Mary is weak enough that you could still pull out that game, but against a better team, you're not going to be able to do that. And not too hopeful for their last two regular season games. They have Drexel on the road, which they're 11 and 1 at home, Drexel is. And for what they need to do, I think their bigs need to be bigs. I think. Keenan Fitzmorris and Chris Mido both need to play like centers, especially against Drexel, because they're going to be going up against Amari Williams, who is <laughs> reigning two-time defensive player of the year, uh, reigning two-time defensive player of the year, and uh, I believe was the preseason favorite to one pl- win CAA player of the year this season. So uh, they're going to have to do everything they can against him. And then they got Delaware last game of the season at home, but Delaware is better on the road than they are at home. Mm-hmm. So there's a good chance that they lose their last two regular season games going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the bigs need to be better. They need to rebound more. And I think Tyler Stevenson more, he needs to cement himself as the best player on this team. He needs to be 
the leading scorer that they depend on him to be because he's been wildly inconsistent. He was 4 of 11 against William & Mary. He had a career high against... NCAP. NCAP, that's who yeah. they played. But that's the thing. For every good game, he has an equally bad game. Mm-hmm. So he really just needs to get it together because if not, then I can't see them really making a deep run in the playoffs. Well, I, I would probably have to agree with that. Uh, Brad, what about you? What do you, what do you want to see from the men's team? This, I would definitely, yeah, I would definitely have to agree with Kenny. I think uh, one of the main weaknesses, I guess, would be uh, rebounding and also defense in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that their defense kind of improves against NCAT in the second half, and that's how they were able to kind of solidify the outcome of the game. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's nothing is perfect. And I know that you know, their three-point percentage in that game was pretty decent in the first half, but they shot, I guess, I think it was under 17% in the second half from deep. So that also can have a big outcome on the game, even though they had a pretty strong lead. I would just say rebounding, uh, defending the perimeter, and also defending the paint. That would be like a huge thing. Um, offensive rebounding, that's a big big thing that they need to work on uh going into these next two games okay um and what about you Naden? what did the men have to do this week to get right before the playoffs what do you want to see from them yeah so i'm gonna have to agree with kenny and brad um you know they need to prove that they could compete with these relatively good teams in the caa you know if you look at it on paper delaware and drexel are pretty good teams statistically so i wouldn't put the bar as high as they need to win both of these games but I would say they can't afford to get blown out again. So you look at past weekends, they've been getting blown out recently. And even against William & Mary, it was not a convincing victory against a relatively poor side in the CAA. Mm-hmm. So I would say they need to put up a fight. I'd say they have to win at least one of these two games to get some momentum in going into the CAA tournament. But if they just go 0 for 2 and get blown out and double figures i wouldn't anticipate for them much to do for them to do much in the caa tournament yeah i mean i don't even think we do expect them to do much in the tournament anyway but um i would have to say i I, they gotta sweep this week they got i don't care how good drexel is they gotta beat drexel and they gotta beat delaware i mean they were beating delaware by 10 at the half last time they played and they lost that game Mm. i mean think of it this way they're 16 and 13 and they're 9 and 7 in conference play well, you know, 18 and 13 and 11 and 7, that's not bad. Anything less than but but that's on that's maybe just above the precipice of mediocrity. So anything beneath it is mediocrity. Mm-hmm. And anything beneath 2 and 0 will lead them to anything beneath that. So can't settle for mediocrity anymore. You got a coach who's been extended. You got to win. You got to win. You got to win two playoff games. This has to be a good year. This has to be one to remember. And also one more thing that I want to point out is that they're, they're, yeah, their overall record and their CAA record isn't that bad. But you look at all the top teams in the conference, lost to Charleston, lost to UNCW. Yeah, no, they were no, beat UNCW. Beat UNCW? Yeah. Never mind then. My whole point's out the window. KB, <laughs> no, no, ahead. but the other points were, were – go ahead, keep going. They're, they're, you were on the right track. Well, yeah, but point. Got, got beat by Hofstra twice. Still haven't played Drexel, which, I mean, we'll see what happens there. Lost to Towson, lost to Delaware split the series with Monmouth, and then it's Tony Brook. Yeah. And then everybody under that, they've beat. Yeah. So, other than Campbell. but Right. And they've struggled to beat some of them. Yeah. Aaron Clark had to hit a 32-foot three-pointer to beat them the first time. So, yeah, it's uh they've got some they've got some convincing to do this week. I would say 
they have to win these games. Yeah. Not only win these games, but win these games by like 10 points. Right. Um, going to be a little harder to do on Thursday, but yeah. we'll see. And uh, with that being said, we're going to talk some tennis now. So Kira Kasser, you're going to come and join Kevin Yu. And we're going to talk some Stony Brook women's tennis. Technically, first place Stony Brook women's tennis. Yeah, I don't mean to say it tongue in cheek, but it is true, right? I mean, they're not having a great year. They're two and five now mm-hmm. overall, but they won their CAA opener. Yep. So one and own conference play. I mean, you can't do any better one game into conference play. How I'll start with you, Kira, before going to Kevin. How do you feel about this team in the CAA? Not how do you feel about this team? How do you feel about this team in the CAA? Can they win the CAA? Well, it's too early to know where they'll end up in the end, but right. they only have three more conference games. They're going to face Towson, Hofstra, and Delaware. Right now, Delaware is six and four, so Stony Brook isn't looking great against them. Yeah. Um, Hofstra's three and four. I'll say it'd be great if Stony Brook could win that, but I really don't know if they can. And Towson is the only one of the three that's played a conference game already, where they lost to UNCW six to one, which made their overall record 0 and two. I said on the podcast, it was either last week or two weeks ago, but the Seawolves are capable of winning games, but it seems like they only beat teams with obviously bad records, like seriously bad records. So let's say they beat Towson. All I can say right now is they're placing the CAA. They won't be last, but I don't think they have a chance at first or close, especially where things stand. UNCW has a 4-0 record and... Drexel has a five and two record. Mm-hmm. It also shows you how seriously schools take their their tennis teams, right? Mm-hmm. Just the fact that they all have different yeah. amounts of games played. I mean, Stony Brook has what two or three ga- uh, three or four conference games scheduled this yeah. year. Some of them have ten. So yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, it's all weird to to judge. Kevin, you, what about you? How do you feel about this team in the CAA? In the CAA, I think I know I like their chances to compete, but I don't think they'll win the CAA whatsoever. Just considering just the newness of the team, new coaches. You know the five freshman players, which was which I've nailed overhead multiple times. But I was really pleased by the performance against Monmouth, especially in the doubles game. And we saw a new debut of a new double in Mia and Dasha. And after losing um against in Hall two to six, they won convincingly against Monmouth six to one. So if they can continue that consistency in that doubles game, that can really help them in the singles aspect because it's the doubles point that constantly put them back. Now, if you lose the first two doubles matches, there's no need for the third pair to even play. So as a result, the the doubles pairing that Tiago wants to put out, they're not getting any chemistry, not getting any playing time. So they need to stay competitive in this doubles game if they really want a chance to compete for the CAA. Absolutely. All right. Good job, guys. And uh, now we're going to talk some Stony Brook women's lacrosse. Okay. So I bring to you Kevin Broderick, Aiden Stang, and Alex Stranger. Gentlemen, how are we? Doing good. Doing good. Happy birthday, Mike. Oh, thank you, Happy Aiden. Kenny. Late birthday, but. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> no answer from Kevin. So I guess he's still good. He's still okay. All right. Good. Um. So. This team is, and it's just my opinion, it's not a fact. They're hard to judge right now. To me, they're impossible to judge. There's no Kalen Hart. We still haven't seen Jaden Hample, correct? And, uh, you know, they played three bad teams. They're 3-0. and They played three bad teams. They're without two superstars. So how are we feeling about the women's lacrosse team right now? And what do we want to see from them next time around when they play Villanova this Saturday? Um, Aiden, let's start with you. You covered the last game. All right. So Yeah, so I know the teams they were playing weren't necessarily that good. But they're still 3-0. It's still, they're a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Obviously, their offense is one of the best in the country, which is like, you know, crazy. Their defense, 
isn't that great, but it, they're not too bad. The only thing that I was kind of shocked at when I looked at the game stats was that the starter for uh, women's lacks, Emily Manning, Manning, didn't make a single save mm -hmm. the entire game. I, she went I, in nine goals. Let me jump in. I was there at the game. She saved one of them. The refs overturned it. She made one save, let in eight goals. Just let the record note that. Yeah. Refs suck. Here we go. It's a, on, on paper, though, on she paper, let in nine. On paper, she let in nine. It's a slightly better save percentage. Yeah. Well, you know, it got J-Mo benched, so it's yeah. the same exact line. So I think that's probably, if I was going to pick, like, a weak point in the team, that would probably be the weak point. I mean, when Aaliyah Jones stepped in with 10 minutes to go, she made two saves, which is technically one more save than her <laughs> starter made all game. Yeah. If there was one point to pick out, it would probably be that. But, yeah, don't get it twisted. The, the team is, is definitely lethal and... I think they can go as far as they want with the amount of talent they have. Yeah. All right. So, KB, what about you? Um, how do you feel about uh, – well, what do you want to see from them next time around, at least? Uh, I want to see them have a better first half. That first half versus ASU was not inspiring, to say the least. It was. I think it was the only a one-goal differential coming out of the first half. Against the team, they should be blowing out from start to end. Offense came online in the second half. The draw control unit continued to be dominant, and that's a large part of why they came out so strong in the second half. You can make the argument that, yes, it was because Manning didn't make a single save on paper and didn't make a save until, I think, the fourth, third or fourth quarter, that that's why the first half was so close. But at the same time, there was there was at points where the offense wasn't scoring as much as they could have. Um, but nonetheless... Ellie Macera proves why she is a Torreson candidate game in and game out. She had a disgusting move that blew my mind on a free possession where she had her stick in her right hand, switched it over to her left, switched it back to the right, went behind the back and beat the goalkeeper clean. So there's it's just things like that that proves why this team is so lethal and is why they are number 11 in the nation. And really, I don't care what happens at Villanova as long as they win. What's make or break is the run of Syracuse into Denver, into John Hopkins. Alex, um, <laughs> um, what do you have to say about the uh, women's lacrosse team? How are you feeling about them right now? I mean, I think that, like, KB's last point is what really matters. I mean, they'll beat Villanova. doesn't really matter. Last year, they were undefeated. Went to play number three Northwestern as a number four ranked team and lost uh couldn't be good teams all year so that's the game that's going to matter midweek game next week in Syracuse they'll go into it 4-0 away they're at, they actually dropped one in the rankings so they're 12 now because obviously they've played three bad opponents so uh, this weekend it'll be a win and then Syracuse the way they're looking right now can't say I'm too confident about that game mm, okay all right Mr. Negativity now uh, you're dismissed. You can leave. And uh, Aiden and Kevin are going to stay on to talk about the men's lacrosse team. Oh, baby. Um, If you thought we were negative there about women's lacrosse, it's 12th wow. best in the nation. Just wait till you hear this stuff. He's um, excited about this. Yeah. Uh, KB loves. <laughs> KB loves to just denigrate. Um, Jaded old man. So this was. And again, this is my opinion and not a fact. We just had the worst football team arguably in the country. But I think. This is the worst loss any Stony Brook team has suffered this year with men's lacrosse at Air Force. Uh, just flat out inexcusable. So no Blake Balin, no sign or clarity on what's going on with JMO in the cage. How are we feeling about the men's lacrosse team right now? So KB, we'll start with you. Terrified. Ooh, one, terrified. one word answer right there. Terrified. 
I don't know what's happening with JMO. No one knows because there's not a lot of transparency around that. You know, me and Mike were talking last night on the WSB talk show about are we going to see JMO up against Hampton? Are we not? Um, because there's an argument to have him play against Hampton right. to get him get his swagger yeah, back. to get his swagger back, to get him get back going. But at the same time, you don't want to be playing your supposedly best goalie in the CAA against the worst team in the nation. It makes no sense. Tommy, this is the game Tommy Wilk was supposed to be playing, mm-hmm. not the game against Air Force. Right. Um, and then on top of that, the game against Air Force, Tommy Wilk made 12 saves. He had a 50% save percentage. And you still lose? Yeah. I That's inexcusable. Yeah. To You're, Air Force. To Air Force, who is a, like one of the worst defenses coming into uh, I think it's well, they can't score. Either. Yeah, they They're were not. A they were a team. bottom 20 defense coming into the game, bottom five offense coming into the game or something or uh, something around that stat line. And you can't score. You go, you score three times in the second half. It makes no sense why you get three goals in the first five minutes. And then second half, you get three total. I don't know if it's a depth problem. But no, Armitage was quiet that entire game. Mm-hmm. Who else was quiet? Jack Doherty didn't get on the board. Yeah, he's, um, he has had two quiet games in a row. Yeah, uh, and it's just like, again, no Justin. Blake Balin, right? No Blake Balin, so you can't say he was quiet. He wasn't in the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. Will Button. Yeah. Will Button was actually had a bit better comparatively, if you're talking about point share on the team, yeah. than what he's done in previous games. But, you know, Justin Bonacci, he did pretty well. Two goals for a freshman. He's been playing very well so far this season. You know, Dylan Polinetti had four goals. I'm pretty sure that's his best game goal scoring wise of the entire season. Mm-hmm. And then I it think is. it is. It is. Yeah. And then Nick. Yeah, du- he's been facilitating too much. Nick Dupuis, who is supposed to be the facilitator and has the most points on the team because of that. Those three guys played fine. I don't know. I On paper, I don't know what was going wrong with the offense in that game and why they couldn't score. Yeah. Part of it, you can say, was that Air Force was playing very well inside of the cage, but that can't be your excuse. You're going to play better goalkeepers. And you have good scores. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just good scoring, and it's lacrosse. It's an offensive sport. Good yeah. scoring beats good goalkeeping. Uh, I, I'm also very concerned, and we spoke, you know, before we switched to Aiden, Last night on WSB, it won't be last night when this podcast comes out. On Sunday night on WSB, when we were speaking about it, I'm worried, and I don't think Anthony Gallardi is a, a bad coach, but I'm worried he might fall for fool's gold. Yeah. And I don't want to call Tommy Wilk fool's gold because that's like ridiculously disrespectful. I think he's a good goalie. Solid. But you shouldn't have to think. Who's the better goalie, JMO or or Tommy Wolf? Like body of work matters way more than what's happened recently. JMO's the better goalie. JMO's still probably the best goalie in the conference. And I'm afraid that we're gonna see something happen where Gillardi starts Tommy Wilk against Hampton, and Hampton gets three shots on goal and he saves them all. And then we don't see JMO again because it's like, oh, well, you know, Tommy pitched a shutout. And then, the, and then the next time we see JMO is like getting subbed in against Delaware when we're down yeah. nine to one. Second half of the yeah. game against North Carolina. And all of a sudden, like he's in an unwinnable position anyways. Right. And, he, and he lost three goals, doesn't get a save, and, and then they never go back to him again. So, so this is a real moment where good coaches show that they're good coaches. And I, I, I trust him. But I, I have trust issues. You don't want to. So, so I fear the wrong decision will be made because I feel like it's way easier to make the wrong decision in this 
scenario than the right one. You don't want another Chuck Priori quarterback situation. Oh, God. Yeah. No, I mean, argue with the wall if you thought Darren Bryden was a better quarterback than Charlie McKay. Okay. I don't care that Charlie had to go down to D2. You could say, oh, well, no D1s wanted him. Charlie was better than Darren Bryden. Okay, Aiden, uh, what's up with the men's across team? How are we feeling about them right now? Uh, well, I want to start by uh, commenting on the Tommy Wilk JMO situation because mm-hmm. um, I think Galari's a great coach. Seems like he knows what he's doing, but I think he's he's stuck in a really hard place right now because JMO had some bad performances and Tommy Wilk has been having great performances. But if you go off, you know, the report card, then JMO should be better. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a risk to keep playing Tommy Wilk. But at the same time, it's almost like he has to because he's already earned that spot. Like he's been playing really well and JMO hasn't. Right. It's the next man up. Yeah, it's a tough, you know? it's a political move because now what happens when he pulls Tommy Wilk? What if the locker room has, you know, like what if he pulls him too early? It's you know an emotional I mean? game. It's a, it's, it's yeah. exactly. And he could, he could lose the locker room if JMO then goes out and puts up a stinker, you know? So yeah, I, I think tough. it's just whoever, I think they probably have respect for each other and they, they probably both want that starting spot, obviously, because they both want to play. Mm-hmm. But I think it's whoever plays better. Like, if if Tommy Wilk slips up, then Jamo's going to go in. Mm-hmm. And if Jamo also slips up, then Tommy Wilk's going to start next game. Well, then you have a problem. Yeah. Then it then it's a problem. Now it's no longer... Then then, then it's a different discussion. Exactly. But then when Jamo... the debate right now. Then it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. On the report card right now, it's, it's Jamo's spot to get back. Mm-hmm. But it's Tommy Wilk's to keep. So, like, if Tommy Wilk slips up, then it's his time to come back. So, I think Galari's going to probably start Tommy Wilk next. And then if Tommy Wilk does bad, you'll put JMO in. Because, I mean, you know, it's really like if if Tommy Wilk does badly, then he doesn't deserve to have the starting spot anyway. Yeah, but then way to show confidence in your players, you know. Yeah. Like, you, I only pull people out because they play poorly and then I put the other guy back in. Instead of saying, like, hey, I have trust in you guys. Right. Like, you know, go back out. I know you're going to make these saves, JMO. I have faith in you. Mm-hmm. And then if JMO, like, also, you have the other thing about the other emotional part. It's like, oh, I'm only going back on because Tommy had a 30% save percentage. <laughs> and then JMO's like, okay, well, coach clearly doesn't think very high, highly of me right now. Right. It's, he, it would be like being J.K. Simmons' character in the movie Whiplash. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's great. Like, he makes them stay. Uh, you know, the, the drummers, they, they have to keep staying. Just, nope, next. Yeah. Nope, nope, you try it. Um, no, but I think... Without the homophobia. <laughs> yeah. I think Gallardi has did put a lot of faith in, in uh, JMO. I think he gave him a lot of chances to really redeem himself, but he just failed. Like... He's a great goalie, but he just slipped up too many times and he gave up the lead. And when Tommy Wolf would come in, it would almost provide a like stability to the team. Mm-hmm. And they kind of bring it back, you know, in the last three games, basically, except, you know, Tommy Wolf started, played the entire game last game. But the two games before that, Jama would struggle. Tommy Wolf would come in. It would, you know, they'd get stable, but they'd still lose because they'd be in a tough spot, mm-hmm. you know. Obviously, like uh, KB alluded to, he did save 50% of his shots last game. He made 12 saves on, I think, yeah, 12 saves, 12 goals. shots. <laughs> so there's an hard math. Right yeah, it's there. not. It's 50%, <laughs> right? What's 12 half of? It's not. Um, But yeah, not 50%. Saving 50% is, like, really good. Yeah. Those are, you know, JMO numbers. You yeah. know what I mean? But against so, Air Force. Right, that's another argument, too, is it's like if he has good games against Air Force and Hampton, again, that's where it becomes fool's gold. It's, yeah. not, it's not the same offense against Penn State and Rutgers. Right. 
It's nowhere close. But then again, how look at how he did. He, yeah, he, st- yeah, he still did. I, you know, there's no right answer, and I've got to cut you guys off here. We got to go talk about some Stonerbrook softball. But good job, boys. Um, Anthony Decoco is going to rejoin us. George Karatsis and Matt Tisdale are going to come join the party as well. We're going to talk some Stonerbrook softball. All right, boys. Uh, good weekend. Much less cause for concern this time around, right? Three and two in five games. Um, what was the biggest difference uh, between week one and this past weekend? And is it sustainable? So, Matty Tiz, I'm going to start with you because you covered it, right? So, go ahead and tell me, what was the biggest difference between this one and the opening weekend? I think in their wins, it was clearly pitching. Two straight shutouts and in seven innings by uh, Medea Malaz, um, which obviously helped the team after last week giving up they had two games, uh, giving up nine runs and 12 runs, getting mercyed. Uh, same thing to start this week with Nevada, where they lost 12 nothing. You know, uh, offensively, they're still lagging behind a lot of the CAA competition. They are, yeah, so out of all the CAA teams that are, I've played at least 10 games thus far, they're 11th out of 11 in batting average, almost nine or nine points behind UNC Wellington at a 196 clip, which uh, it's, that'll hopefully come up throughout the season, but also on the mound throughout their 10 games so far, they have a 6-4-9 ERA, which is third worst in the CAA. You got to hope that these stats are going to like fix themselves over the course of the season. While there were two very solid games and then a low scoring uh, third win this weekend, uh, or a higher scoring first win this weekend, I'm not as thrilled as I would expect to be after a three win weekend, just because the there's still permeating issues that I don't think were completely resolved. Hopefully next week against George Washington and George Mason start to be more consistent on offense because all of 11 out of the Seawolves 16 runs came in three innings throughout this weekend. That's not going to play throughout the season. So hopefully they can start being more consistent and start just putting up more runs, limiting runs, and just playing better overall. Mm. Sage advice, play better. Anthony, what about you? No, that was a good job, Matt. Um, Anthony, what about you? Um, what was the biggest difference uh, between this week and week one? And uh, is it sustainable? Oh, well, like Matt said, they had a couple of big pitching performances by Milos and Mayday. But what I saw is they got their power back. I think they had four home runs this weekend and eight extra base hits, which from their last series, I think they had two total over the five games. Yeah, and that was a, got both of them. So. Yeah, that was a big improvement there. Uh, I th- I think it's definitely sustainable. I think that there's still with the, there's been a lot of start and stop. They haven't really got a chance to get their mojo going. Seeing Milos and Mayday perform like they did in those two games was encouraging. You just gotta hope Mia Haynes starts to right the ship. But I think everything's gonna come together and they'll be fine in the long run. Yeah, it took me a little while last year too, so I don't think that that's the concern. I think the the real question is, can Ashton keep it up? Because Gabriel Mayday's done it a couple times now. Um, George, what about you? What was the biggest difference between Week One and this past weekend, and is it sustainable? Um, I think it is sustainable. I think they just overall played better as a team that first weekend. You know, the one game they won, they got a big pitching performance, and the offense did come together, but in the other four games that they lost, there was essentially no offense. You know, I was very vocal about that on the podcast. <laughs> and I was very vocal about how badly Ashton Milos pitched two weeks ago, and she shut me up completely. Mm-hmm. So I think now that they're getting their power back, their offense seems to kind of be hitting their stride. The situ- 
the situational hitting is kind of coming back. They should be able, they should be in a good spot going forward. Mm-hmm. You know, the offense is still yet to explode in the way that we know they're capable of the way they did last year. But I think when you couple it with the good pitching, which for the most part, it's been pretty okay this year. Yeah. So far. Um, way better already than it was last year. So. Way better than we expected. I think. Um, uh, I think it's kind of on par with what we yeah, expected. Yeah. At, at um, this point in the year. Yeah. I think they're in a good spot going forward because you know the offense will completely break out and completely explode and dominate every pitcher they face. Yeah, hitter's head. You know, it's things always gravitate towards the mean in baseball and softball. Um, Ashton will definitely do that. She'd do that all year last year where we were like, oh, my God, Ashton's got to get it going, and then, then she'd shut us up. <laughs> and then what, all, what, what Ashton will also do is we'll ask Stony Brook Athletics to profile her, and then they'll go, sure, and then they'll never schedule an interview uh, with her. So um, good job, everybody. And uh, on that topic of Stony Brook Athletics not scheduling interviews, we're going to talk some Stony Brook baseball. So Alex DeMauro is going to come and join the party. Um, Anthony, you are dismissed. Matt, you are dismissed. Yeah, so I'll talk about why I use Stony Brook Athletics as a segue. So the elephant in the room here, and I saved the best for last with baseball. Stony Brook just picked up, Stony Brook Athletics just picked up its biggest regular season win ever. Okay, like straight up. Okay. I mean, sure, some have had more magnitude. Some have clinched regular season championships and won seeds and stuff like that. But this has national implications, right? Stony Brook was trending on social media again. Uh, You got people saying funny things on Twitter like, uh, bro, this Minnie Mouse team owns LSU. And then the skull face emoji, you know, stuff like that. Um, This helps with recruiting. People will... You know, more kids know who Stony Brook is now. And also, you know, they beat the reigning national champions and the second ranked team in the in the in the world. So let's just call it what it is. That's 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 an amazing win. The reason why I bring Stony Brook Athletics up is because last week I tried getting Matt Sank on the podcast. They're like, sure, it didn't happen. I asked earlier today, can we get Matt Sank on the podcast? I haven't even heard back yet. So, yeah. So we're just going to we're just going to I don't know. We're just going to try this on our own then uh, without Matt Sank's input. So. <laughs> We definitely had questions answered with the two wins this past weekend, one at Northwestern State and then the aforementioned one at LSU. With what we saw on Friday and Saturday, how do you feel about the Stony Brook baseball team come conference play? So, George, you covered the series. You also broadcasted it. Um, I'm going to start with you. Well, I think we're looking at a playoff team right here. Mm -hmm. I think when we're talking about the preseason and we were talking about this baseball team, we had a lot of question marks and we talked about well, who's going to hit after the five hole? Mm-hmm. Who's going to pitch after Eddie Smink? Every single one of those questions has been answered. Yeah. You know, this offense, say what you will about where they the come fir- from. Say what you will about where they come from and say what you will about the first game against Purdue and Friday morning's game against Northwestern State. This offense has impressed everyone so far. Mm-hmm. And that's been without Evan Fox hitting well. That's been without Brett Paulson hitting well. Mm-hmm. You have Rob Taylor, Matt Maselli, Nick Solorzano, Eric Paulson, all contributing out of the bottom of the order, mm-hmm. and that's huge for a team. Even then, and then it, in a game that they're do- in a game that they're down by a lot, they're facing LSU's bullpen, and these are kids that are getting drafted by MLB teams. And you have kids like Johnny Pilla, Matty Wright, Cal Perillo just smoking them. Mm-hmm. They scored six runs in an inning against two last year MLB draft picks. Right, Nick Solorzano. Exactly. Like yeah. this team is elite offensively, I would go as far as to say. Okay. <laughs> and and then on the pitching side, 
we know Eddie Smink's going to be good, and he's mm-hmm. been good this year. Mm-hmm. But they seem to have figured out their weekend rotation. Ty Saunders has been pretty solid, giving them length so far. And Nick Rizzo showed a really good start on Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, I guess. Yeah. And JT Rabb is making things interesting. JT Rabb and Eric Paulson have been great out of the bullpen. Yeah. I'd like to see them find that third reliable guy, whether that's Jarek Hobb, Ty Stout, Quinlan Montgomery, whoever that's going to be, take that take that step forward. If Seng can get one more one more solid reliever, who knows where this team can go? We know who the top three in the conference are going to be, but after that, who knows? Mm. Yeah, good point. AD, what questions did the baseball team answer for you, and uh, how do you feel about them now come CAA play? I mean, George pretty much hit all the points from the weekend, but that win over LSU was huge, and even in the loss over LSU, I mean, putting up 10 runs yeah. against it doesn't really matter who LSU is throwing. It's LSU that are reigning national champions. So I think the offense put together a really good performance. Eric Paulson, by the way, a Master four inning save. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Gave them their first, uh, gave LSU their first loss of the season coming off the natty. Yeah. I think the Freshman. biggest question that was answered is that they are contenders for conference play in terms of they could beat good teams. Uh, yeah. So, it's not that's not an invalid point. You know, I I agree with you, George, that they're a playoff team now. I mean, originally I had them around eighth place. I'm willing to bump them up definitely to sixth, but just the fact that they could beat LSU, that means they can at least salvage a series against Northeastern or Campbell. They're not gonna face Wilmington in the regular season, so we'll see, you know, obviously. Um I mean, they did it last year, but they could beat anybody on any given day, which is nice to know because I that was the problem. I didn't know if they could beat anybody on any given day. That was, you know, I in years past, like you knew when Sony Brook was going to win. You're like, oh, UMBC, this is three wins easy. But again, they could beat anyone on any given day. Now so they've proven mean? it. They've proven it, though. Last year, I mean, like they got swept by Delaware in a series that they had six leads in. So. And then they lost a lot of those, a lot of their best players, a lot of those guys who supplied them with those six leads. They they lost them, so it's like we we didn't really know much about them. So I definitely have them as a playoff team now, maybe even as high as the fourth seed. But I mean, I need to see when them. I say contenders, I wasn't you know I wasn't trying to imply that they're gonna win the yeah I'm not. I mean, well, the what do you what do you mean by contenders the then? Playoff contenders or CAA contenders? Like I would say playoff before championship contenders. I don't think. Yeah, that's a championship contenders is a fair thing to say. Yeah, but then who knows? With After baseball, one win over LSU, right? You get in the dance. The only well, any given day, really possible, who, right? Who know? I mean, look at 2012. Yeah. Look at Friday. They can beat top teams in the country. Mm-hmm. Why can't they beat Campbell? Yeah. yeah, why can't they beat Northeastern? That's true. And I mean, in theory, you could beat the number two team. The only team you can't beat is number one, unless you prove otherwise. Right. So yeah. That's that's just in theory. Right. But, yeah. I know. Well. Campbell's going to go, they're going to have to go on a hell of a winning streak for us to get that opportunity as well. So um, good job, boys. I definitely agree that they are probably a playoff team now, but we're going to have to revisit that topic once conference play begins. We're still three weeks away from that. So um, with all that being said, uh, thank you guys for listening. I hope, uh, I hope we made smart points. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> so much starting and stopping. Um, but uh, but yeah, tune in next week to uh, find out more of what we have to say about the uh, Sunderbrook Seagulls. And let us know if Sony Brook Athletics is still titling those YouTube videos State of the Seawolves, okay? I want to know. I want names. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you very much.